You may recall Lindsay Seitz's story. On a hot summer day in 2014, tragedy befell the family when her husband, Kyle, inadvertently left their 15-month-old son, Benjamin, in the backseat of their car all day, where he passed away from the heat. The harrowing and tragic story was international news at the time, and Lindsay appeared on the Today Show, among other outlets. But this isn't that story. This is the story of how now, nine years later, with raw emotion and grip, Lindsay retells the aftermath of her son's death, the emotional and mental strength it took to keep her family together against all odds, and the discrimination she faced from local law enforcement and child protective services when they unearthed the fact that one year earlier, she had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. This is a story of loss and radical forgiveness, but also mental health advocacy. From Fragile Moments and Not Today Media, I'm JD, and this is story number 32 of the What's Your Story podcast, Riding the Waves of Bipolar Disorder. Sure. I'm Lindsay Rogers Seitz, very much former practicing attorney, uh, turned author, uh, mental health advocate, speaker, and consultant, also on behalf of mental health. Um, I It's taken me my whole life to come out with the story. Uh, it, it began, well, it began in my 20s, but the journey to actually sharing started in 2014 when we... Um, my husband and I experienced a tragedy where we lost our son and uh, really began thinking about some universal concepts such as love and forgiveness. And in order to love other people, you first have to love yourself. And so that took me back, oh gosh, 15 years or more to uh, my early 20s when I uh, had just graduated from undergrad at NC State, uh, married, newly newly married with my husband and started um, experiencing some very disturbing symptoms. It started out as depression. Then over time, it got more agitated, which I didn't understand because I didn't think depression would should be like that. Yeah. So then um, started seeing some doctors and it was very slow to be diagnosed in and out of the hospital several times. Um, finally, after going through many trials at medications, they realized that I was manic depressive. So that explained uh, my mania was not as high as some experience. So it was somewhere between hypomania and pure mania. But the, the mixed states where you have depression and mania together yeah. were the worst for me. And that's when... Um, on extreme, I would be suicidal. And it was a very rough life to live, especially because I was entering law school to be an attorney. So juggling that and then decided to have kids, had two young, two young daughters at the time. Um, 
that was the beginning of, of the journey. Pretty stable through law school and then went to a very large top tier law firm in New York City to practice. We moved up to Connecticut with, uh, I guess the kids were 18 months and two, almost three. Uh, so we were, I was commuting, commuting in an hour each way from Connecticut sure. to New York City. And it's, that's when I really began to understand the, the dichotomy between struggling with mental illness and how you can be a functioning member of society at a high level in yeah. various professions. So it, even though I was medicated, um, other than, you know, when I got pregnant, et cetera, it was still hard that, I mean, working 16 hours a day when I was a first year, I really felt like I had to prove myself because I was a woman with uh, two young kids. So I even, yeah. I even slept in the office some and uh, was working all weekend. Uh, and that was before the day like we have now where you can work remotely. So you were always expected yeah. to be in the office. So I would, I would cycle between, I love my job. This is wonderful. I can take on more projects. And then the next, I would be driving home, you know, 10 o'clock at night, knowing the kids were already in bed and going down the dark roads in Connecticut and really saying, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. I need this. I'm so depressed. Um, and so it, it just, being a professional with any type of mental illness is really hard. Yeah. And that's the reason I'm, I'm working now um, to try to work with businesses to help better support those with mental health issues because there's really a gap and it really needs to happen. Um, but so then got pregnant with uh, a son in 20, he was born in 2013. And um, at that point, uh, when he was about 15 months old in 2014, my husband had been a stay at home dad during that whole time. And then he had gone back to work a few months before uh, Ben passed away in a hot, hot car tragedy. Um, so then that really initiated um, a journey for me of self-love and try. I, I don't think I'd ever really accepted myself for my imperfections and being manic depressive because I'd hidden it in my whole life. I, you know, hidden it until this week when I published my memoir, but yeah. It's it's hard to really love other people if you can't even accept and love yourself for who you are. So yeah. that has been um, a very long journey since Ben passed away, probably up until recently, um, and it's still ongoing. So yeah, and it is. I, I I think people kind of forget that that you know you get tricked into this. Well, you know, try this, and you know you'll be cured, or you know, take these ten steps and you know, your anxiety, your depression, any of that will be, you know, no big deal anymore. And that, you know, that can't be the case because life, life goes on and you don't know what life, you know, uh, you don't know what life is going to throw at you next, you know, but you begin with better tools in your arsenal, better skills to, to be able to, to manage it differently. Um, yeah, so how does, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's right. I mean, for me with the, I mean, if anything's lucky about having manic depression is that it's highly treatable with medication. So if I'm on the right medication, I do so well. But then even on medication, you still go through mild ups and downs. And so yeah. there's no magic to it. I mean, you still no. have to struggle and get through it. So, yeah. But I interrupted you. No, I was going to say, so, you know, so 
go back to, to, to 2014, you know, I, I think for a lot of people, like, you might look at that and go, well, how does that, how does that spur something you know, inside of you to look at, you know, a, a perspective of self-love? Uh, how does that, how do you feel that, you know, transpired for you? How did that, how did that come about versus very understandably going the other direction? Right. So my husband in, inadvertently left my son backseat of the car where he passed away. And um, after that, I was questioning what love was um, just in general. It was hard for me to yeah. understand love and forgiveness. And over the next year, I really went through severe ups and downs and didn't cope in a healthy way. Um, ended up having a little bit of a breakdown um, in September of 2015 and that's when I realized that my grief and cycling and anger wasn't necessarily about Ben or what had happened with my husband. It was about myself because um, I just couldn't live like that any longer. I just, yeah. I just couldn't. And I took a trip. We lived in Colorado at the time where we moved to get away from media and, and everything. Um, to be anonymous. And I took a trip up to Aspen, Colorado, and basically went um, into nature with a chair and a computer and had started taking a new medication for the first time that day. And it really started helping clear my mind. And it was the first time that I'd felt good in years. Yeah. Uh, and it was a relief. And so when I started writing, it really began with my own journey um, out of the silence and not to be hiding anymore to help other people so they can not feel so alone. Um, and really thinking about the, the idea about my husband, one of the greatest things he's ever done for me was in my 20s when I was going through such a hard time before I was accurately diagnosed. He supported me through the worst of it. I mean, the darkest days you can ever imagine. And yeah. after Ben passed away, I feel like I returned that love to him um, equally, not because I had to, but because I know that we were really soul partners in a way. So yeah. everything was um, inextricably linked together. Yeah. And that's so, I mean, you know, you mentioned like, you know, you know, media and getting away. And then, you know, on top of that, you have your own, own pressure of, of what goes on that, you know, that like everything is weighing on you. And so how, how much of a challenge was it to, to kind of, uh, you know, not even just physically push that away to be able to like keep on this path? Yeah. So initially I went into survival mode and when you yeah. go into serious survival mode, you're able, I just, you're able to be strong and keep it together because you have to, your entire family and your life depends on it. Cause we were deep in, um, police and DCF investigations. So we, I just had to be strong for the family. Um, so I didn't really have any issues with my mental health for the first bit. And I think once the investigations were over and I kind of had time to actually breathe and think and yeah. breathe and process what had happened, that's when everything just swept in. Um, yeah. and so that's when it was really hard to control what was going on in my mind because in, you know, stress and trauma obviously are triggers for those of us who have mental illness and especially with bipolar, any type of stress can be a trigger. So sure. um, that's when that really started. Yeah.
This podcast is humbly sponsored by BetterHelp. As a holistic health coach turned mental health advocate, I know the importance of finding the right support. Why? Because I've been battling anxiety and depression for over 10 years, and I know I'm not the only one who struggles with their mental health. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen. Talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. All you do is just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you're matched with the therapist in under 48 hours. I say this all not as someone telling you to simply click on another sponsor, but as someone who's been seeing a better health therapist for the past year. I've never felt more valued, respected, and full of hope for my mental clarity than I do with each passing session with my therapist. Join the 3 million plus people, that plus being me, who have taken charge of their mental health when experienced better health therapists. As a special bonus offer to listeners, you get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. That's betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. Remember, just because you need help doesn't mean you're not worth helping. And so, you know, as you continue to move forward there, you know, what, what kind of things kind of, you know, help you, you know, keep, keep making that, I don't want to say like at bay, but you know, that, I mean, grief and, and loss sticks with you, you know, and, and it, it, you know, you know, they say time makes it easier, but I don't know, you know, I, I certainly have, well, my wife for starters, my mom, you know, they've all lost people. And I mean, they'll tell you 10, 20 years out from both of them, you know, they still get upset. They still cry, you know, and, and so there's got to be, you know, things that you have to have in place to, you know, stay on that. Because like I said, I mean, life still happens and, you know, you're, you know, you can't say, okay, I'm, I'm done. That's, that's cured, check and no big deal. You know, so how do you, when those things keep popping up, those, you know, those thoughts, those emotions, those feelings, those reminders, you know, what kind of things keep you from falling back into the dark? Yeah. So time doesn't heal. Time just no. takes away some of the sting of the memories. Yeah. Um, I saw a, a quote yesterday that meant a lot to me because I've done so many interviews and Sometimes I tear up when I think about a few things, but the saying was, when you can tell your story and not cry, you know you're healed. And I wouldn't say I'm completely healed, but um, my husband and I are healing through the process of going public and discussing everything. Um, But you're, you're always going to have triggers and you just have to have a good support system. When this first happened, nobody knew what to say to me, to us. Sure. Um, yeah. Your friends are ones that would just sit there in silence and just be there for you. So I think definitely having a good support system and somebody that you can talk to and help process emotions is really important. I didn't do a good job of that. I wish I had. Um, but, I, you know, asking for help when you need it, it's, uh, you know, these are just some some things that can help you. Yeah. And so what what ultimately chose you to or made you choose, I should say, to. I mean, public is, is something that, you know, is, is definitely right. A choice to, to make, you know, especially with something, you know, so tragic that you could just simply just say, I'm going to, this is our story. This is my story. This is, 
not something that needs to be necessarily heard for everybody. So what what kind of spurred the thought and ultimately made it come to fruition that people need to hear all this? Um, yeah, I mean, well, in, a, in the prologue to my book, I say this is not a story about loss and grief. It's a story about love and hope. And I think there's so much negativity in the world that we go through yeah. these days. Um, I really wanted to share uh, a journey to show others unconditional love and forgiveness and, and you know, being of faith, uh, the, the knowledge that you'll see your loved ones again and that God is all around you. And then one of the biggest parts of it was um, really I'm, I'm just tired of living in silence. And yeah. For my whole life, I've never been able to tell one person that I was bipolar for fear of stigma and, and ar- around anywhere, but especially in my profession. And it's just time for me to speak out because we all need to be able to speak out and really try to reduce stigma in society. So that that's probably 50% of publishing my book, just so I could say things that a lot of people don't and try to empower others to do so. What's been the hardest part about doing that? Has, has there been you know, like an immediate, like, you know, response from people that it's like, this is, you know, like, what, what is she doing? Like, why are they sharing the story? This is, you know, or or they, I guess, you know, for for lack of better terms, like they've kind of formed their own opinions about what happened. Yeah, sure. Every, everybody, everybody does. And I think, um, for, for some, they view it as being painful, uh, because it's such a tragic story. But when you read through the book, of course, there's some things in the in my memoir that discuss what happened. But overwhelmingly, it's it's more about um, overcoming and finding yourself as a person, especially if you're struggling with with anything, especially mental illness. But then also understanding some of the most universal concepts we can ever think about, like love and forgiveness and God and 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 loss and, and everything. So, I mean, of course you have to, you know why you're doing it. And I feel like I'm meant, I'm meant to share this message. So you kind of have to overlook some of that, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah, it's really hard. It's very hard. And, um, but you know, when this happened in 2014, there was so many negative comments in the media and in, in just everywhere, just strangers. And we just realized you can't read them. You just have to overlook it because yeah, yeah you just, it's hard to to continue going on if you really listen to, to so much of that. And it sounds like, I mean, a lot of it was even coming from the places where, you know, you're turning to the most for, you know, some type of relief or, you know, trying to figure out what, what you know, what happened and, and be there to protect you, you know, from, I mean, not necessarily, not media, but, you know, law enforcement and things like that. You're having to explain yourself to people that, you know, you, you, didn't, you shouldn't have to explain yourself to that, you know, this is this is a hard moment for you. You, you know, you, you're looking to them to make it easier and not. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you ask about how it came to fruition about really coming out and talking about mental illness. And I mean, a turning point in my life was when the children's ser- child, child and family services was, um, investigating Kyle, obviously, because of what happened. But then when they found out I was bipolar, began investigating me too. And that is, was it the first time I had experienced true discrimination? Yeah. Um, and it was eye-opening to me about the problems that we do have in society when it comes to stigma and mental health. Yeah. So that, it, you know, I think people 
read a headline about my memoir and the tragedy and forgiving husband and everything, but there's so much, so much of the book is about stigma and mental health. Um, yeah. yeah, that, that was just a bit, played a big role. Cause you can see that. I mean, even, you know, from, from your side of it, from his side of it, that, you know, like, and we, you know, we see it in, 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 in the media today as, you know, as incidents happen, you know, school shootings and things of that nature, that it's like, once you can, once you can find any shred of that in that person's story, whether they, you know, had a, a moment with a school counselor where they said that they were depressed or, you know, anything that's like, it's like, yep, there's our explanation. And let's throw that, you know, right out there and make sure that people know that this is, this is to blame. And, and it, it right. just makes it, you have to start all over again, as far as educating and explaining that no, you know, like this is something that somebody's going through and they, they need support rather than, than blame and judgment. Right. Yeah. And I, um, the, the tough part is that people don't really talk about mental illness other than in the context of extreme circumstances like school yeah. shootings. I just read Best Minds by Jonathan Rosen, which is a great book about a friend who had schizophrenia and it didn't have a good ending. And um, he discusses that as well. And that's a problem in society. I mean, we need to talk about it and humanize mental illness so that there's an understanding of, you know, normalizing it into the population of all of us who are functional and living our lives and not just the small Extreme. percentage of, of chances where it's linked to violence or, uh, you know, things like school shootings. Yeah. So as far as, you know, the message that you have, you know, for people that, you know, not, not necessarily even going through these situations, but, you know, just life in general, you know, what kind of things that, what kind of things that people need to know as far as how to embrace, you know, this whole, which shouldn't be a, you know, a silly concept or a foreign concept of, you know, love and compassion and forgiveness. You know, what, what do you feel that we're missing that, that, that people need to hear in order to understand that like this, <laughs> I say it's you know simple, but you know, the, the, the simple concept that we should be embracing more. Right. Um, in this day and age, especially with the advent of social media, there's just so much negativity and fighting and a daily rush focusing on things that in the long run don't matter. People have, yeah. um, Carrie Egan, one of my friends who's an author, uh, uh, wrote a book about what um, people who are dying, what they think about. And it's always love and the time they spend with their loved ones. Yeah. And you never know when that last moment is going to be. And I think the fact that above all the negativity that we see in the news around the world, that there's such overwhelming love um, in God and with ourselves and between human beings that if we just focus on love and, and forgiveness and, um, you know, try to really make that a part of our lives, it can make humanity so much better. And that's something I've tried to live, even though I'm not good at it all the time. Um, but it's, it's, uh, one of the most important things we can do. Why, why do you feel that forgiveness is, is such a challenge for a lot of people? And, and here you are practicing that in the most extreme way and in, in a beautiful way. Um, that it almost seem impossible. Like, why do you feel that, that even just on a, on a small level, people have a hard time embracing that for situations? Yeah, I think, so I initially, in the moments after Ben passed away and went to the hospital room where my husband was, 
basically just crawled on his lap and told him I loved him. And I think that was an instantaneous forgiveness because I knew that he was my soul partner and I could never be without him. But then you have your mind, which has to forgive as well. And so it's so easy to let your the mental process and the constant analyzing and thinking about what happened and the blame and shame and everything seek, seek, come in. Um, and I think sometimes you have to really go with your instinct and your gut and your heart, which is really hard to do because the mind is so powerful. Yeah. But I, you know, eventually I, it took me, I went through times when I would yell at him and just, it was, it was hard. It was hard to forgive, but then I eventually went with my heart instead of my mind. Um, and I just think that generally that's a tough thing to do. It's people, you know, overcoming that. Yeah, absolutely. So where, where are you today? What, what, what do you feel? What do you believe? What do you stand on? And, and ultimately what do you hope to, to see in the end? Yeah. So, um, healing where we're definitely at that point where we're healing together. Um, I stand on faith. I stand on, um, being you and realizing be authentically you, even if you have imperfections and, and I stand on that. And I guess I'm really dedicating my life to that now to raising awareness, um, around mental health in society so that we can be ourselves and love ourselves and realize that we are beautiful just the way we are um, and reducing stigma and discrimination because we've just got so far to go. Um, I think also just standing on unconditional love because that's something that's so lacking um, generally, I think, around the world. Um you know, God's unconditional love and our unconditional love for each other is uh, one of the most important concepts in my life. What's Your Story is produced by me, JD, with background piano music by Chad Lawson. The stories, though, they're all yours. And if you've got a story you want to share, I'd love to hear it. So you can do so by heading to fragilemoments.org slash tellyourstory. If there's something that really resonated with you in today's episode, let me know by sending me an email at jd.jedi at fragilemoments.org. Or you could simply tag the show at at storysharingpod on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for choosing to listen. And I look forward to hearing your story one day because we all have within us a story to tell, a song yet unsung.